from runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 354, Learning About Learning, with guest Kim Tripp. Recorded Tuesday, January 28, 2014. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I've got a favorite guest and a very dear friend coming back. It's Ms. Kim Tripp, and I don't even know if I need to read this bio. And if you ever go to her website on SQL Squills, there's an epic bio there that will scare and intimidate just about anybody. <laughs> but uh, SQL Server MVP, Microsoft Regional Director, been a SQL Server geek since way before it was cool, because, you know, 1990... And, yeah, uh, okay. and you were on the Microsoft team. You worked for Microsoft for a while, right? I did. You know, I, it's a great company. I've, I've always loved SQL Server. I had a great time on the team, but I, for me, it wasn't the place that I wanted to be because I like to do training, consulting, writing, speaking at conferences. And, and back in the nineties, there wasn't really a job or a role for, for me there. So, I mean, I was there for five years and I, I enjoyed it, but, uh, I I left in 95 to start SQL Skills, and, and now I can't imagine ever kind of going back. And I, I worked for IBM before Microsoft, right? right. So I, I had a, an interesting past. I, both companies were fantastic. I, I, really, I learned a lot. I had some great colleagues. But really, I, I like to go in so many different directions that, um, <laughs> you know, maybe it's the ADHD of, of the career path or sure. something. But, you know, I just I love all these different things that, my customers show me and, and each week and each customer and each implementation I look at is different and, and it's really challenging. So that's, that's why I love it. And how much time do you these days split between your consulting practice and your training practice? Yeah. So that's interesting. It's varied over the years. It, it, now that we have a, a team, Paul and I both tend to do team management and kind of manage some of the projects that the team is doing. Right. We still we still both do hands on. In fact, Paul has been deeply immersed in trying to resurrect data from the grave basically oh, from wow. a, a disaster recovery situation that he's been working on and and I've got some customers I'm helping doing some architecture for cuz that tends to be what I focus on the most. But we also tend to work with our team on the projects they work on and kind of bounce they they bounce things off of us. So we don't we don't necessarily manage the day-to-day consulting for everything that our company does, but we tend to work with our team, and they tend to be more in the trenches, per se. So I'd say we're probably, I might even be 50-50 with training and consulting versus teaching. But that's just the nature of, you've got a growing business now. I mean, 1995 is a long time ago. You've, been oh, doing yeah, C- you've got quite a team around you. Yeah, and we're kind of a boutique team, too. We focus uh, really on high-end um, training and consulting and getting the right solution. We don't always do the implementation. Like, we'll go in and we'll do a health check, and we'll see what is wrong with the server, and we might give them a list of things that they would they would do. And we either let them implement it, or we can certainly implement it. But sure. a lot of what we do is kind of mentoring mm-hmm. and 
you know, helping people analyze where their pain points are, but we don't necessarily spend our day-to-day fixing every single problem. But we do have customers that we do remote DBA on as well. We have customers that we do architecture uh, work with. Like I've gone on site for one, two, three days and just talked through architectures and kind of given people direction and then left for a few months gone through some email conversations and then gone back on site and said, okay, where are we at? What do we need to do? So there's a variety of different ways that we work with customers and it's, it's great. You know, I mean, you're right. Since 1995, a lot has changed, sure. but, uh, but I still love it. You know, I'm, it is very ADHD. <laughs> it is, it's kind of like, Oh, what thing am I going to do next? And sometimes five minutes I've done three different types of things that are all over the map. Cause you know, we also run the company and we manage conferences and, and events, and so I'll do event coordination, and then I'll get on a phone call and help somebody solve a performance problem, and then I'll turn around and do payroll. Sure. <laughs> so it's, well, it's such a big pile of work. There's always something to work on. You don't have yeah. to be stuck on any one thing. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And that's, that's again, I think what I love about doing what I do, and I think that's why a lot of people – decide to go independent. They they like to go in different directions. Sure. They like to be challenged. It's really hard. I, I would I would strongly recommend that anyone that wants to consider going out and becoming independent take quite a bit of time improving their online persona, improving their business network, going to user groups, speaking at user groups, making connections before they ever leave the comfort of a, you know, a pain check every two weeks or every month or whatever. Um, so there's lots of challenges with it, but it, it's also incredibly rewarding. Sure. I mean, and you know this too. Yeah, so. we, we've both been out for years and years and years. And, and the reality is you spend, you know, the if you're somebody who's good at the work, you just have to remember that there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes into a business. The work yeah, is only the one part small that piece people of people forget, right? Yeah. You know, they, they don't, they forget about paying taxes and having to deal with, you know, all this accounting and, yeah. you know, they don't even account for things like having to pay their own phone bills, internet bills. And, and you might think, well, I already do that. Yeah, but you end up starting to use some of these things more and yeah. wait, now you need a fax machine or, or maybe a fax machine is so 90s. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, you need all these other things that you don't necessarily think about until you go out on your own and you start realizing, oh, health insurance and, you know, it's it's interesting, but it, again, I come back to it's incredibly rewarding if you do find that thing that you love and uh, and it works. And we were talking a bit about learning. I I put the word out on the twitters that we were going to talk a bit about. <laughs> you put the word out on the twitter on the twitters. Yes, <laughs> I went out to the twitters and uh, and got a really strong reaction because you know, generally speaking, folks that are on Twitter are pretty engaged and involved in this problem of how do we keep up, how do we keep our skills current, what do we need to work on, and you're certainly immersed in this whole industry. Uh, do you find, uh, and this can't, actually this question came from Steve Murawski who said, is it the responsibility of the individual for training or do you think that employers should be including this in their work? You know, this is a fantastic question and it's, it, it really sparks a lot of debate. I, I find that there's even sometimes some very heated debate from employers thinking, I don't want to pay a bunch of money for my employee to go get training and then turn around and leave. Right. Because, you know, that is the intent of some employees. And, and I, you know, I get that, but that is, it's not cool. I, I don't, I don't think that anyone should 
go to a training class with the intention of turning around and leaving. Um, and I don't know that that ex- exists exactly in that form. I also find, hey, you upgrade your skills and make a larger contribution to the company, but there's no growth path for your role in the work. R- right. You know, folks get into this trap where it's, and I, I've seen someone actually with enough nerve to say to their employer, what you're saying to me is the only way for me to get promoted is to go work somewhere else. Yeah, no, okay, so there's two sides to this, and and yeah, I was just looking at the kind of very negative, but not very often. I don't see people going to training with the intention to leave, Right. but you're right that they, they go to training, and then they might see that their opportunities at that company are not, you know, they're not very broad, they're not very um, challenging, they, mm-hmm. they have nowhere to go, and they think, okay, I have to leave, and and that is unfortunate. It's unfortunate when an employer doesn't realize the amount they've invested in the employee and then work to help that employee continue to invest in both themselves and their job. Sure. So there's there's a lot of problems there. I guess where I was going was I don't think most employees go to training with the intent to leave. Right. But at the same time, I think employers do need to protect themselves. And I've seen a lot of companies very successfully ask the employee to do some kind of payback if they leave within a year. And I think that's more than reasonable. So I I was just going to say that you could get involved if your company is totally against training and you want to take training and you don't have any intention to leave and you think you do have a lot of growth potential and you go to your employer and you say, look, I want to invest in this company. I want this company to invest in me. I'm willing to make a commitment, you know, to to really take what I've learned and bring it back to the company and give the company the reward of my training, you know, by staying for at least a year, right? And and you could come up with some type of contractual agreement if you decide to leave within Six months, you repay half. Right. If you leave within nine months, you repay a quarter. But if you stay for that year, you don't repay anything or, or some other type of sliding scale. And I think that that shows to an employer that it's not your intent to turn around and leave. And that, that was where I was really trying to go is, is I don't think employees really intend to do that, but some employers have gotten bitten and they turn around and they don't want to pay for training as a result of it. And, and I think that's unfortunate because the employee needs that training to do better at their job, but they also need that training to have, I don't know if I want to say better self-worth, but to feel better about what their job is providing to them. Sure. You know, and, and so that, that really frustrates me that companies don't see a real benefit in getting their employees to be better at their jobs. It, it makes them more productive. We, we actually started to do a, uh, survey to our, to our, uh, attendees of our immersion events of how much time they've saved or by how much percentage gain did they get in their servers in performance that they can really say is directly accounted to our training events. Mm -hmm. And I was amazed. I mean, we were finding that on average, and I I should probably pull up one of these surveys here, but um, I was finding on average that people were saying they got 15 to 20% gain within just a matter of a few weeks of getting back, and they were referencing their course materials every day or at least multiple times a week. And it was just amazing to kind of hear people quantify the training and quantify the learning and actually say that it's having an impact. And, and 
maybe that's not true of all training that's out there. And maybe some companies have, again, been burned by sending somebody to training that didn't turn up living up to its expectations. Sure. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that no training is the right direction. So to bring back to the question, I do think it should be the company that pays for the training. I think that the company gets a lot out of having an employee that is more knowledgeable and better at doing their job. I do think it is a benefit to the employee, and that's where I think the employee has to make that commitment back that they are planning to, you know, work for that company right. for at least a little while. Provide you know? value from that training back exactly. to the company. Exactly. So I think it's a two-way street, and I, I'm really saddened when I have an employee that is paying for training themselves and taking vacation time right. to do the training. Like, it, it just... it. It, it's really sad to me that their employer has no value. And for me, like, I, I'm shocked when that person isn't looking for another job. You yeah. know what I mean? I, that's exactly the scenario that I wouldn't want to be in. Is, is But you also think this is part about leading your career well, is making a commitment with your employer at the beginning of the employment that says, I expect to be trained and I expect to provide value from that. You should demand that of me as well as I'm going to demand that of you. Uh, I also wonder how people actually go about this too. Like I've seen some organizations where they say, look, there's 4,000 a year that you can spend on training. Whether you want to go to a class, and we should talk about these different forms of training. No, that's a great point. Or, yeah. or you're going to, you know, spend it on printed materials, or you're going to, uh, you know, head a, uh, head to a conference. I mean, there's all ways to spend money to improve your skill set. You know, I, I, a while back I did a blog post that was similar to this discussion, and I think it's a fantastic discussion because you're right. There's conferences, there's training courses, there's online, there's printed materials. There's just a, a myriad of different options, and and I did do quite a comparison of training classes versus conferences, and I think that's a great debate mm-hmm. because I think both are incredibly valuable, but they're very different. Well, and we've you and I have both done all of these things. We've done instructor-led training. We have done uh, advising or mentoring in person. We have done video. We've done conferences. Like, we've done each one of these different mediums, and I think they all have – I feel like ILT, like being in front of a group of people, particularly a small group for, you know, 20 or so for a week changes lives. Like the most amount of impact I've seen as an instructor has been in an ILT environment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I have to totally agree. We do, you know, our training events called immersion events, and we run from, you know, 8.30 in the morning until 5.45 at night. We'll stick around after and answer questions. We have evening events. We are totally immersing ourselves and the students into the technology, and it's incredibly deep, and it's incredibly focused. And you're right. People get an incredible understanding when they focus on, you know, nothing but one subject for multiple days with a small group that they're constantly interacting with and they're building on that information all week long. You know, that's why we call it immersion events. Right. We're kind of focused in one area and it's, it's where you can really make that connection with the attendees and with the content and then they can also, you know, make contact and network with each other. For and sure. I'm amazed at how many of the folks, you know, ask for each other's emails and stay in touch and they create 
um, group emails among the group where they constantly ask each other questions after the class is over. Do you also find that you have to take them off-site? Like, I've also done classes for a company at the company. Yeah. And it's so distracting. Like, getting away from the office seems to be an important part of this. Oh, I... This is one thing that I am fighting with probably weekly. We will get at least one or two emails a week saying, when are you coming to X or Y or Z? And I'm not going to name cities, but, you know, I think people are expecting us to do, let's see, there's 52 weeks a year. So let's say 50 training classes in 50 different cities for three or four people each, you know, and, and, and that's not, that's not scalable. We'd lose our mind. And to be honest, when people are in their home city, I have to admit, it's almost as bad, not as bad as being on site, but it's almost as bad in the sense that they have to go walk the dog, pick up the kids, deal with all those, and I don't want to say distractions because I don't want to sound condescending about it. It's important stuff. But when you can totally disconnect, and, and for us, go to even a different city, you know, where you're staying at the hotel and you can, you know, sleep and kind of roll out of bed and go straight to class in the morning and you're not distracted by traffic and walking the dog. And I, I mean, it's, it's a deep and intense immersion into the event where you're not getting distracted every five minutes. And when I'm on site, you're right, it's even worse because people will get called out into the hall or, you know, somebody will walk past the training room and say, hey, Bob, do you mind? Can you come out here for a second? And it just completely distracts the student. It distracts everybody else. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a good thing to have the training on site if you're not going to focus on the training. You know, you lose a huge amount of value in distracting your employees all week. And so, all these people that want us to come to them, I get that, but they're not they're not seeing the value in disconnecting. Not either. taking the advantage of it. And I think part of that, and I see this at conferences as well, when you get away from the office and you have a few days, you get out of the trench mindset of I need to fix this and that and start thinking much more in a leadership mindset of what did I want to get from my career? Where do I want this system to get to? How do I make everything get better, move forward? Much more head up lead your business mindsets rather than the, how do I get my indexes to go faster? Yeah, yeah. It's that old cliched thinking out of the box, sure. you know, you get out of the office, you get away, especially at a conference. So that the big difference for me with training, which is, you know, deep, focused, intense, one area um, versus conferences is conferences are usually a lot broader. Sure. There's definitely depth, right? But you've got five, six different tracks of you know, five, six sessions a day that are all over the map, which is phenomenal if what you're trying to do is figure out new features. And I don't even mean new features and new products, but just new features to your company, different ways of doing things, specialized ways of doing things or ways of tuning things. I'm thinking a lot of like SQL Intersection and and what you do at Dev Intersection, right? Which is lots of best practices and, and little nuggets that apply to all sorts of different areas and all sorts of different aspects of their environment and their architecture. So no area... The way I think about it is no area solves 
you know, all of your problems or gives you a, a, a solution that's comprehensive to your architecture or environment, but it gives you a whole bunch of little things that either solve small problems or give you directions of where you need to start looking to solve the really big problem. It's one of the things I encourage when we get dev intersections up and running. And, it, you know, they, I get that first five minutes before the keynote comes out. It's one of the advantages of being an organizer. <laughs> and I say, like, go to a session you wouldn't ordinarily go to. Because if you just go after the stuff you already know, you're going to make little wins. The big wins come from unexpected things. Yeah, and, no, and you're that's sort a great of, point. You're in front of this buffet of content of all the, you know, we spend a lot of time finding the best thinkers and some, the best people and, and put them all in one place to really build the best possible show we can. You, you have to expect at Dev Intersection and SQL Intersection as well. There's no room you can walk into where the person up front of the stage isn't amazing. No, agreed. You know, and that's, that's one thing that I think we've all worked really hard to do. We've got, we've got people that know their content, but we also have people that know how to present it, know how to convey it, know how to solve real-world problems. All of our speakers are consultants. All yeah. of our speakers are speakers, you know, and they, they're really good at what they do. And you're right. You can almost wander into any room and be intrigued by the topic, unless, of course, it, it totally doesn't apply to you in yeah. any way, shape, or form. But I'm, I'm just saying you could virtually go anywhere and, and get something interesting out of the session and maybe think in a direction that you've never thought before. And you're right, that could be a huge win for your company. It could be all of a sudden it going in a direction you never would have considered, and yet you've solved a problem that's been a major problem for a while. When I think, and again, you get back to this idea of same way that an off-site training class works, being at a conference, probably not in your hometown, means you have the time to think of much more broadly. I call it head-up versus head-down thinking. Interesting. You know, a head down thinking is I have a problem. I need to solve the problem. And you, you, you've met these people in your classes and at your conference too. Yeah, they're almost blinded by their own knowledge. Yeah, they've got a list of questions they need to get answered, and this is why they're here. Yeah. You know, I think much more challenging and ultimately more powerful is the head up thinking of where are we going and why are we going there? No, it's a great point. You know, and what else can we bring the company to use and leverage to be? you know, more powerful to get more data to uh, whatever the direction is that they need to go. Sure. And I don't want to bias us here because one of the questions we got off of Twitter here as well is how do you pick a conference? You know, what do you look for in a conference to, to decide where to go? It's a great question. I mean, I, I think you have to look at the sessions, the titles, the content itself. But I think you also have to maybe do a little reconnaissance on the speakers, you know. I, I mean, we say that we've got great speakers, but you want to be convinced. You know, read the bios, maybe look at some of the websites, check out a few blog posts that some of these folks have written, or see if there's free videos that some of the speakers offer online. And, mm -hmm. you know, get a little bit more insight into the people you're going to be listening to, and, and that might even allow you to figure out, exactly which sessions you want to go to or, you know, studying some of the topics beforehand to figure out if there is some interesting topic that you're not yet aware of that you want to become a more, you know, more aware of. So I, I don't know. I think, I think some folks just kind of do a quick Google search. Something says the topic they're interested in and they're like, okay, this must be good and not 
not every event is created equally. Not every event has the same amount of depth or the same types of topics. And, you know, I've even had folks that have seen me at the past or in the past at other conferences just assuming that I was going to continue to be at those conferences. Sure. And and I get that. And, you know, there's conferences that I did for years. And, you know, I actually, I, I don't know if we should name names, but I'm, you know, I, I worked with one particular conference for years and, and I never really had a lot of control because it was always managed by a larger company. And now that I manage SQL Intersection myself, I'm able to you know, choose the topics, choose the sessions, make sure that it really does have a direction and right. it's not just, you know, the smorgasbord of buzzword bingo, you know, from the last two months, you know, and that's sometimes what happens when people that aren't technical are running uh, a conference. The other thing I, I tell people about that they don't generally are aware of is, you know, for the most part, speakers all know each other. And we, we talk behind the scenes, you know, we know which shows are fun and which ones aren't fun. And one of the reasons you speak at a conference, because conferences don't pay, you yeah. know, they cover your expenses. But if you actually want to make money, you've got to go to, you consult, right? Or you train. Conferences aren't about making money. They're about making connections and being in front of your community. And one of the reasons you go, and I certainly find this with experienced speakers, is you go to see your friends. Yeah. I mean, you and I, I've been friends for a long time. I think I emceed your wedding. You but did? Oh, what do you mean? You think? Of I course think you I was there. Wedding. You know this. <laughs> but when do we see each other but at conferences? Yeah, sadly, that's actually true. But it's it's another great way for, you're right, the networking side of things. And when I think it's one of the things that somebody who's thinking about going to a conference is just be aware. They conference speakers run in packs and if you like one you'll probably like a lot of the others there's a lot of truth in that yeah. that's absolutely true we we stick together pretty closely we like to be in the same places together and you won't you know you'll see us all or see none of us that's often very 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 true and i i think it's actually one of the the great things that um i used to love about some of the other events when when they were you know having a lot of external speakers at them um I, again, not going to name names, but uh, you're right. We all run in packs. We all tend to know each other, and and you will find a lot of really great content because we all have a lot of respect for each other, and we all you know know what each other is doing. I and think it so, also pushes us to be do be the best speakers we can be. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, they, they do the very best session you can do. And we tend to sit in each other's talks and talk about them and different ways to approach problems. Like the, the, there is a camaraderie among speakers that I think makes for better conferences. Yeah. And, and I as agree. an attendee, I think it's really important to sort of look for that and, and, you know, find out, uh, where those, where those things are. Uh, I've, I've, every so often I get an email like that. It says, Hey, of all the conferences you go to, what's your favorite one? You know, and why? Because there is a bias there. And and I, these days I can only answer one way. I happen to make a conference called Dev Intersection and I make it the best way I possibly can. Given 20 years of building conferences, this is what I do. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'd have to agree. Now, moving on past conferences, because there are other ways to learn. And I personally am a good reader. But, you know, I know most people, not a lot of people are. I read my, read material really fast, really well. That's the way I like to learn. But the hot new way, and I think you're involved in these these days, is video training. Yeah, online training, you know, any type of training that is 
allowing you to stay in your office, not have to travel, and you know, absorb as much content as possible. And and yeah, we've partnered with Pluralsight for exactly that purpose. And they're they're amazing. They have an incredible library of developer courses and now quite a few IT pro courses mm-hmm. as well all across the space of, you know, C sharp and uh SQL Server and, and there's even now some Oracle and MySQL and so they're really spreading out across the entire uh, area of anything you need to do with data and websites and applications and development and design and architecture. So it's pretty incredible. I do find that video training seems to suit. You have a specific task you want to do and you want the right way to do it. And there's, and there's usually a nice little three minute nugget that will walk you through that task. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a variety of different ways to go about kind of solving a particular task. And if, if you're really wanting just a little nugget, I, I mean, to be honest, you know what I start with? I'll start with a Google Bing. You sure. know, I, I'll just see if I can find information out there. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the XKCD cartoon, which is um, a, a woman is yelling to her husband who is sitting at his computer, and she's going, are you coming to bed? And he's going, no, I can't. Some Somebody is wrong on the internet. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, you do a Google Bing search and it's sometimes going to lead you to poor quality information. You know, I, you know, it's, it's easy to get to, but the value of the return might not be so high. But it could also be exactly what you're looking for and it could be just the solution you need. What I usually tell to people that are going to Google Bing something, um, is I, I want them to find at least a couple of websites that say the same thing right. as opposed to just trusting the first answer they get, oh, set it to 12, you know, and and that creates a nightmare. So, you know, I, I, I always say start with that. Um, as far as training on Pluralsight and some of the stuff we do, some of our courses are, you know, three, four, five, six, eight hours long. So they're not necessarily the, the three-minute little nugget, but obviously there's lots of three-minute nuggets in there. Sure. And the beauty of the way that we've designed the courses, because for me, for example, I, I can only speak really for my courses, but for me, I rewrite my courses to be online courses. So they're not, it's not like I take my instructor-led training and then just re-deliver it online. I mean, some of the demos are the same. Some of the content, you know, I, I'm saying some of the same things. It's sure. not like I say different things. Yeah, truth but, is the truth. Right. I, you know, but I'm saying it in a different way. And some of the things that they have us do at Pluralsight, which is really interesting, you know, focusing on each bullet and, and kind of talking to those points and not spending 30 minutes on one slide, having multiple slides that have detail for a particular topic. I mean, it's really interesting because it allows you as a viewer to stay involved Mm -hmm. and to stay kind of focused on the training because of some of the things that they have us specifically do for online training. So it's not just, you know, a recorded class and you get what you get out of it. I mean, we're really trying to make it so that the online environment is actually really digestible. You know, it's it's something that you can really get a lot of use out of. So there are the three-minute nuggets, but a lot of our courses are meant, you know, kind of taking you from the beginning to the end of a particular topic. And one thing that Paul and I have done, which is which is almost interesting, is for some of the topics that we do in some of our immersion events, 
we've actually taken not just the core content that we usually deliver, but we've also taken a lot of the tangents, mm-hmm. the the side... Those the, digressions you always end up yeah, doing in person. Exactly. The digressions that sometimes you don't have time to do right. for the entire class. So, like, just to give one example, in, I think it's IE1, so that's our internalism performance course, um... Uh, Paul has a login and recovery module that runs around three to four hours. Mm -hmm. But his module on, or his class on login and recovery on Pluralsight is seven hours. Wow. And he, he did all sorts of demos. So there's all sorts of nuggets. You know, there's kind of the core content that you can go through, but then there's all these kind of interesting tangents, things you might run into, things that we've run into. Things that we wouldn't necessarily expect every single person to know everything about, but it's like a fantastic way to remember what you learned in class. So a lot of our students actually go back to the Plural Sight training afterwards to refresh their knowledge or to see some of the tangents or they use it as a reference, uh, you know, set of materials. It, so there's just all sorts of different ways to use it. And I think that's the beauty of online training. I mean, the uh, the cost for, for example, plural sites. The cheapest, I believe, is twenty nine dollars a month. Right. But I mean, twenty nine dollars a month. That's a book, you know. Yeah. And and it's amazing the amount of content that you have access to. And it seems to me like a really low barrier of entry way to get started on a technology. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, you and Paul have that great story about being the accidental DBA. You know, so someone who's landed in that situation, like you were standing close to the server when the last guy quit, so it's you. Is that a way to get started? Because I would some some ways feel like your immersion class, you got to be pretty far into SQL before you can really take advantage of that. Yeah, well, it depends. We've actually had people that came into the class saying, I didn't think that I would really get much out of this because I was so new, and yet I not only got the fundamentals really well understood, but I've got lots of areas that I know I need to study and I know I'm going to be able to come back to the materials and get even more out of it. So I, so I think there are people that as long as you're, as long as you want to learn the information and you're really focused, Mm -hmm. you can get a lot out of it at almost any level, as long as you have a good background in computers. But, but I would absolutely say that you'd be better off if you, had more bruises and battle wounds and scars from having tried to figure things out because we see a lot of light bulbs go on for sure. folks. And and a great way to, to start to get some of those battle wounds is to start looking at some of the training and then trying things out. And, and we've had people that were like, you know, I decided to create my own little movie database and I decided to create my own little contacts database. And it's nothing, you know, to be you know, writing home about, but it allowed me to create some tables and create some procedures and create, you know, and, and get started with data that meant something to them. So they were able to easily understand and correlate that to kind of what some of the training had taught them. For sure. Yeah. And it sounds like each of those different mechanisms has some value to it. I mean, that, yeah, that accidental DBA series is a great set of blog posts and a great thing for someone to read who's just trying to get their feet under them. Yeah, we did that last year. We did, I think, 31 posts on uh, each day for a month on different things that somebody getting into SQL would, would need to know mm-hmm. and who is becoming an accidental DBA. And we actually do have an accidental DBA course as well. Wow. Um, so there's lots of options So direct there. immersion I mean, there. And then and then you get into the plural site materials. Like each of those learning vectors has some value. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I would strongly recommend to folks if they are thinking about kind of circling back to what we started with this mm-hmm. whole conversation, you know, if they're thinking about wanting to not just advance their career at the company that they're at, and, and hopefully they have a lot of opportunities to do that because that's, that's where the company is going to, you know, get the most value and, and somebody's going to grow the most. But at the same time, you need to be thinking too about what your career is going to do and where you're going to go. And right. one thing that people can do is they can create kind of a transcript of the things that they have read, the things that they have learned, the things that they have studied. And even if it's not, you know, an MBA from college XYZ, it still shows that you had initiative. It shows the areas that you focused on. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, if you can speak intelligently about those topics, then when they look at these kind of homemade transcripts, they can see what you're capable of. And I think it's it shows a lot of creativity for somebody that is thinking about branching out or moving or even just trying to get up and ahead in their own company. And, I, you know, I want to throw one more piece in there because it's something you and I are, are cognizant of quite a bit, which is one thing about in-person events, whether they're instructor-led training or their conferences, is often you're the smart guy in the room in your company. You're the only one who does what you do. And actually getting amongst peers is such a powerful effect on your thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And ha- I mean, certainly you know, you've, you've had that experience just like you described in your training events. Oh, and yeah. You- the networking is fantastic. I mean, you get with people that are solving some of the same problems that you are. And it's amazing how even just a five-minute conversation might have you thinking about something that you never had thought of. Yeah. You know, me too. I'll, I'll learn. So, you know, a student, an attendee might say, you know, we're looking at doing it this way. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's interesting. I haven't thought about it that way. Let me, let me ponder on that and come back to it. And, and sometimes I'll see them two days later and we'll both have thought things through and we'll, we'll keep talking about it. And it's, it's amazing what you can learn. I, I, that's one of my favorite things. I, I'm still learning every single day for I work sure. with SQL Server. You yeah, know, there's so much to do. There's something new and there's something interesting, and I think that's why we love what we're doing. You know, it's it's a challenge, and there's so many different directions to take it. I, I just I wish companies didn't just look at a dollar amount and think that's the dollar amount, and that there isn't a return on that value yeah. because th- there is such a huge return in having an employee that's not only knowledgeable but happy. Yeah, and and growing and doing more and and taking that value back to the company. Absolutely. Hey, Kim, you know, we kill a half hour in 40 minutes every time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how it happens, Richard. We just start going and we don't stop. Yeah, it's a strange thing. And I guess uh, I'll I'll see you soon. You're off to do your training. We'll be uh, at the conferences as usual. Yeah, we're off to Florida for a few weeks doing immersion events. And then uh, we've got SQL Intersection, Dev Intersection coming up in April. Yeah, back in Florida. Yeah, Florida again. A little more Orlando. A little more sunshine. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Richard. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. 